Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 691. It was dark brown and so big I could not close my hand around it. With a slight flourish, Valerian cracked this open against a rock and showed me that the inside was dry like a roasted nut. We ate this too. It tasted dark and peppery, vaguely reminiscent of smoked salmon. Nestled inside that was another seed, white as bone and the size of a marble. This Valerian gave to me. It was candy sweet and slightly gummy, like a caramel. One time she left me alone for endless hours, only to return with two brown birds, one carefully cupped in each hand. They were smaller than sparrows, with striking leaf-green eyes. She set them down next to where I lay on the cushions, and when she whistled, they began to sing. Not snippets of birdsong, they sang an actual song, four verses with a chorus between. First they sang together, then in a simple harmony. Once I woke, and she gave me a drink in a leather cup. It smelled of violets and tasted of nothing at all, but it was clear and warm and clean in my mouth like I was drinking summer sunlight. Another time she gave me a smooth red stone that was warm in my hand. After several hours it hatched like an egg, revealing a creature like a tiny squirrel that chittered angrily at me before running away. Once I woke and she was not nearby. Looking around, I saw her sitting on the edge of the water, arms wrapped around her knees. I could barely hear the gentle song of her sobbing quietly to herself. I slept, and I woke. She gave me a ring made from a leaf, a cluster of golden berries, a flower that opened and closed at the stroking of a finger. And once, when I startled awake with my face wet and my chest aching, she reached out to lay her hand on top of mine. The gesture was so tentative, her expression so anxious, you would think she had never touched a man before as if she was worried I might break or burn or bite. Her cool hand lay on mine for a moment, gentle as a moth. She squeezed my hand softly, waited, then pulled away. It struck me as odd at the time, but I was too clouded with confusion and grief to think clearly. Only now, looking back, do I realize the truth of things. With all the awkwardness of a young lover, she was trying to comfort me, and she didn't have the slightest idea how. Still, all things mend with time. My dreams receded, my appetite returned. I grew clear-headed enough to banter with Valerian a bit. Shortly after that, I recovered enough to flirt. When this happened, her relief was palpable, as if she couldn't relate to a creature that did not want to kiss her. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Jordana, you want to talk about fruit? Yeah, well... It's more, you're right, it's it's more complicated than I thought it was. But it's really cool! Yeah, that's what makes it, like, magical, right? It's like a little nesting doll of, like, and and as we unpeel the layers of this thing that is not an onion, it becomes progressively more magical, right? Like, at first it's like, okay, that's like a weird fruit, but I've seen weird fruits in the real real world before that, like, I don't quite recognize. But I've never seen things like two different layers of seeds, one of which is savory and the next is sweet. Like it's organized like a three course meal. Yeah, this feels sort of like, okay, the way I see it is it's got like, I actually imagine it having sort of like, like a, like a more like a citrus based skin, but it would be like the skin of a lime on the body of a, on the body of an, like a clementine, but like as big as a cantaloupe and also twisted. And then when you get to the pit, it's like an avocado pit. And then when you crack it in half, the... So, okay, wait. So when you crack open the big one, 
then there's is there there's the little white chewy one inside it or is there an, no there's another one so it's like so yeah so it's like cracking open a, an avocado pit and inside it there's an acorn and inside the acorn well it's it's like eating the meat of the avocado pit and then there's like a gummy bear inside that so I want I have one of two things are happening here in my opinion one of them is that Florian is going out and finding these magical things nearby which is likely the other thing, which I think is perhaps more likely, is that Florian is making these because it takes her a long time to go off and do whatever. She leaves Quoth alone for, what does he say, endless hours. And she comes back and she she presents him with these things. And I think that is likely because she went off and made him the shade and he responded well to that. And so that is one way that she knows that he has responded, like that that she has got through to him in the past through like making and giving these gifts. And so she's kind of going through and giving him all these other you know, magical, wondrous things, trying different things, different styles, different tactics. She gives him a song. She gives him a, a creature, which is perhaps a little bit more off base. And then they get more and more general and maybe more and more frantic. I think that probably both things are happening. Like I think some of the things she goes away for a long time to go get them. And I think some of the things she's making. Yeah, like one time she leaves him alone for endless hours and she comes back with the birds, which makes me think that she went off somewhere to find them. Like she's like, okay, I know these birds hang out like in the next glade over, so I have to go get them. Whereas the other stuff, maybe she made it, maybe she found it. I I think it's like not really. I think she found or I think she made the drink in the leather cup. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's likely. Also, it doesn't matter, as we've been saying throughout this whole sequence a lot of the truth of these things don't matter mm-hmm. but it's interesting to think about there is one thing i do want to poke at a little bit more which is the ring of leaf that quoth just sort of brushes over because it's one of many things that he doesn't think much of but we have encountered a tradition of rings made of odd materials uh having deep meaning to them and i think it would be interesting if the uh the tradition of of vintage ring uh trading that we learn of in the mayor's court if perhaps that tradition descends from a fey tradition, we know also that peasants have their own version of it where different materials mean different things. And so I wonder if, and I like the idea that this idea is one that dates back to perhaps before the creation war and that maybe perhaps this ring means something and Quoth just doesn't think much of it because he doesn't know the significance. Yeah, I think that's extremely likely. And furthermore, it also ties into perhaps not directly but i think it 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 does also remind me of quoth when he and denna are talking is like idly twisting a little ring made of like grass for her i think in fact i think he does that like in the scene where they have their big fight i am unsure of that but it does feel very similar to the leaf ring maybe just because they're both green things you're unsure that he did it in that scene or you're unsure that he did it at all? No, I'm unsure that he did it in that scene, but I do remember yeah. him doing it. And it reminds, like, I, I, they remind me of each other because they're both greenish things. Well, and they're both, like, plants, right? Yeah. I also can't swear that he did it in that scene, but I do recall him doing it in a scene with Denna. This also reminds me of something Rothus has done a couple times, and it has yet to pay off, but... Quoth will like list off a list of things that he gets from Auri, you know, and most of them are little trinkets, but some of them we think might be quite important. Like we know from Slow Regard of Silent Things that the candle that she makes him 
is like an act of great will is like shaping or something. And Quoth is like, oh, a candle. That's nice. And maybe it's not important to the story. I don't know. But him getting the key, the coin and the candle thinks he has gathered from Auri seems pretty relevant. seems pretty important. It just hasn't really paid off. But I do feel like Rothfuss does this where he hides important things in a list of other small things that so that it passes by unnoticed on Indeed. first read. Yeah, I think that's very uh, deliberate on his part, Hi- kind of hiding these important things in plain sight. Indeed. Because I think it's actually like this page is a very clear progression of it, of as you say, she starts out with the songbirds, which I think is a good idea because you're right, they're like singing him a song. She knows he likes music. And her efforts do get more and more kind of like frantic and off-base. And then like when he wakes up and she's crying, like she's kind of at her wits end, right? She does not know what to do to snap him out of it. And then she does without knowing that she's doing it. She does like the one thing that like might actually work, which is just like being a comforting physical presence, like just like taking his hand and being like, Hey, like I'm here for you, which like that's sometimes just what I need when I'm like, sad enough to be crying or whatever like sometimes you just need someone to like hold your hand and like even that she's like not completely sure is the right thing to do because she like kind of squeezes her hand and then pulls away uh but she's like completely at a loss here and i think foth is identifying something uh that is more true than perhaps he knows that she can't relate to a creature that doesn't want to kiss her right when she's dealing with a social dynamic outside of her traditional sphere she simply does not know what to do and her sorrow is is very sad i guess like i i certainly have a much more sympathetic reading of florian on this past than i have in the past i find her much more interesting and compelling and and less one note and i think this sequence really speaks to the depth of her character and like her limitations as whatever it is she is elemental is a term that i've thrown around and I agree yeah. with you, Jeremy, that she probably is incapable of relating to someone who doesn't want to kiss her because, I mean, maybe that's her nature, but maybe that's just all she knows. Maybe it's just a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, it could be both. Yeah. For once, we all are in Jordana's camp. I was going to say, I was like, welcome to my fence. Hmm, it's pointy. You know I... what? No one ever said it was that kind of fence. Jordana, did you, did you have any other notes on this page? No, I am done with my notes. Thank you. Well, then we do have a letter today. We uh, we don't have a ton of letters in the mailbag. I expect them to start rolling in once we uh, begin posting our episodes to pull the curtain back. This has been recorded before our return. But we do have this uh, letter, and uh, it's a little long, and it has some sections. So I think what we can start doing is reading a section or two of this letter um, and replying to them. And then by the time we're done, perhaps uh, others will begin to fill the mailbag again. Sounds good. Sounds good. So this letter is from Arthur, who writes, Dear Pagers of the Wind, salutations and best wishes. I have crossed the proverbial Rubicon and determined to send you a letter all the way from the east coast of Australia, in fact. For context, I have recently started listening to your podcast while I work, and even listening at my customary 2.5 times speed, your most entertaining ramblings have kept many an hour of engineering entertaining and interesting. However, after intaking so much wordage from two strongly opinionated people and one interminable fence-sitter, I am compelled to share some points of my own. Let me first preface the below by saying I find the book to be of exceptional quality and am often inspired and impressed by its prose and poetry. Anyway, on to the critique. 
Sympathy, Magnetism, and the Dracus. When Quoth slays the Dracus, what he appears to do is create a sympathetic bond between the Lodenstone and the Iron Wheel, that another, then another between the Dracus and the Dracus's scale, thus pulling the wheel onto the Dracus. What I don't understand about this is how the additional kinetic energy is generated. The wheel itself is not magnetic, and the attraction between the Lodenstone and the Dracus scale would not be enough to crush the full-size Dracus. Further, sympathy, as it is explained, does not appear to be able to make something magnetic, and if it did, why wasn't every metal it's item in the whole town ripped immediately to the wheel, killing like heaps of people? Uh, there's more sections that Arthur writes, but I'm going to save them for a later date. Let's talk about that particular one. Sounds like you might have some thoughts. Well, my first thought is that Arthur suffers from being an engineer and therefore uh, understanding mm. more about the processes at work than perhaps the average reader. Mm. I, I regret to say that at this time there is no cure. <laughs> I, I'm inclined to give our favorite answer, which is that a wizard did it, which in this case is absolutely true. Um, the no prize answer also is that maybe the rest of the things were magnetized and they did all fly through the space and Quoth was just unconscious at the time. Maybe it was slippage. Maybe it was actually not sympathy and it was Telu uh, reaching out his hand and, and moving the wheel. Which is what the villagers think, right? Yeah. And if they that, believe it, doesn't that make it true? Well, I, I mean, no, but I mean, it could be proof that God does exist. It does is working in the world, which I think would actually be kind of interesting. <laughs> because Quoth treats the Talon religion like, you know, I think Quoth is an agnostic at best. He doesn't seem particularly religious. It would be kind of interesting if uh, the Church of the Talons did have something to it. Mm-hmm. We we are only told by Quoth that it's all sympathy, but he does seem to be able. This and actually, there's another piece of um, quote unquote sympathy that has miraculous scale and effects and that happens in this book so this actually is perhaps a pattern of both thinking it's sympathy but maybe something else is uh is at play so as much as my pithy response to arthur being you know a glib one that doesn't answer his question you might be onto something whereas that that the physics don't actually add up and that is actually proof or evidence at the very least that uh Quoth is mistaken when he thinks that he did sympathy maybe he did something else mm. I honestly have almost no notes on this. Also, 2.5 times? You listen to podcasts at 2.5 speed? Yeah, that's, that's wild. I We must sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah, everyone's going to sound like Elliot Kalin. Jordana, most podcast players have a, a speed set. Setting. Yeah. What? Yeah. I guess I don't know that because I don't really listen to the podcasts a lot. But that's still crazy that you would... like. I don't understand why you would want to listen to something at faster than it was recorded. Well, some people have uh, sensory pro processing needs where, like, it's easier for them to pay attention to it if it's going faster. Oh, interesting. Yeah. There's also some that have a setting that removes dead air, so all the gaps between words and uh, this What about kind dramatic of... pauses? Yeah, well, dramatic pauses don't exist in Jeff Bezos' future. I've also, if you ever get the chance, listen to what a screen reader sounds like. Someone who's visually impaired using a screen reader, the speed that it gets read is so blindingly fast. It's an incredible skill, actually, to be able to parse what a screen reader is telling you and to be able to interact in it because it is faster than I could follow when I was listening to it. Hmm. Uh, it's incredible stuff. But anyway, there is uh, there are all kinds of different sensory requirements uh, or even just, you know, comfort requirements 
that mm-hmm. people have when engaging with their media. And who are we? Who am I, the person who started this conversation, to judge them? Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, we must sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks. And uh, I love that for you, Arthur. May we, may we continue to chitter into your ear. I heard la herp. I think Christmas, blah, blah, blah. I don't know the words. That's okay. Uh, listeners, you can learn the le- learn the words with all of us on tomorrow's page. Of the, the wind. wind. wind.